Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. It's the Capital Connection. Hi, I'm David Gustina. Joining us this week is Yancey Roy, the Albany Bureau Chief for Newsday. He's been on this program many, many times before, and he knows what's going on in Albany and all things New York State government and politics. Yancey Roy, welcome back to the Capital Connection. I'm glad to be here, Dave. Ringing out the old year, ringing in the new, right? Indeed. And that is why I've asked you here, as <laughs> you and I are observers and have been for a quite a long time now. And in your role as Albany Bureau Chief for Newsday, you're right on top of things there at the Capitol. So why don't we start with the new year last year? Of course, the governor comes in in January. She gives her state of the state of the dress, that being Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat. And, you know, usually those speeches are pretty ambitious, including something on the agenda last year, housing, that's going to be on the agenda again this year, because that was an issue that she wasn't able to push through. Yeah, you know, Kathy Hochul came in and, of course, she had succeeded uh, Andrew Cuomo when he resigned. And so she had just won a full four-year term in a closer-than-expected election. So she started out 23 in that sort of context, right? Um, new governor usually has a lot of momentum, and, and but really uh, the momentum never really got started for her yet, uh, not in the way that it did for her predecessors who were came in with a head of steam. Um, she started right off the bat in January. One of the issues that came up immediately was she made a new choice for chief judge. His name was Hector LaSalle, a Democrat from Long Island. But immediately she ran into problems politically because Kathy Hochul is a more moderate Democrat than the legislature. The legislature had been concerned from its point of view about the state's highest court uh, turning in a conservative direction, which Newsday had documented, others had documented. Um, and, and they wanted sort of a shift. They wanted someone who was not an ex-prosecutor. They wanted someone with a little bit more progressive record on uh, labor issues and, and, and um, abortion and other things. And so immediately what we had was a, a precedent right off the bat at the start of last year, which was that the state legislature rejected, voted down the nomination of a governor uh, to the state's top court. That had never happened before. And it was a real setback politically for Hochul. And it was also a sign um, that she'd kind of, well, misread her fellow Democrats and misread the, the political climate there. I don't think they, they wanted to hand her a defeat, but they also didn't want to go along with this nominee. And in some ways, misreading the political territory was something that happened to the governor along the way more than once in 23. Um, eventually, she nominated Rowan Wilson, a much more liberal judge, to be the top judge, and he sailed through confirmation. 
but to get back to where we started on her proposals right out of the bat, um, there were some things that were uh, that she proposed in January that were uh, a little bit uh, of a misread in a way, uh, especially on housing. She wanted some. She you know she wanted the goal of more affordable housing and how to get there, and that's a tough political issue. And she proposed some ideas that folks said were well-intentioned, but it also included mandates for overriding local zoning. And and that kind of really just kneecapped the idea politically. And she also wanted to raise an MTA payroll tax to help pay for transportation. Again, folks said a laudable goal, but the MTA payroll tax is just like the third rail of politics in uh, on Long Island and some other suburban counties. And, and why are they important why are we mentioning suburban counties? Because those are the swing areas where Democrats have traditionally have a harder time holding on to their seats than in New York City or the urban cores of Albany, Rochester, Buffalo, et cetera. These are the swing guys who felt that they were endangered. And so the legislature responding to that blocked Hochul on housing and MTA payroll tax. So it was kind of an interesting start of the year for the governor. Yeah, and when we talk about Hector LaSalle, wasn't it that she didn't even have the votes going in? No, she did not have the votes. And sort of in back-channel, if you will, discussions, I think the Senate had signaled, because the Senate confirms or rejects judicial appointments, it had signaled that there was going to be trouble if she wanted to nominate Hector LaSalle. But she felt that he had a sterling record. He was an appellate judge which is like the second highest level in New York. You know, he would have been the first Hispanic chief judge on the state. So that would have fit some other, you know, demographic political profiles. But at the same time, when they signaled there would be problems, she pushed forward with the nomination. And again, the end result was that Hector LaSalle was voted down in a a vote of the Senate. Well, one of the other big issues of 2023, and it continues and will have impact on 2024 elections, and quite frankly, started well before 2022, is redistricting. I'll let you take it from there, Yancey. Well, it's a story that keeps going, right, in New York. Folks who have followed this know that basically every 10 years there's a census and every state has to redraw its congressional districts to sort of comport with the census changes to make sure all districts have chiefly roughly even-numbered residents, so everyone represents an equal amount of people. And also you have to follow federal voting rights guidelines. You can't be discriminatory. And then beyond that, there's the issue of whether it's New York or North Carolina or Texas, the party that holds the power in the state legislature usually tries to draw those district lines as best they can to give themselves a little bit of advantage. And the trick is always to give yourself a little bit of an advantage without being so over the top that a court rules that you've illegally gerrymandered, which is basically stack the deck in your favor. And, well, and, and, and Nancy, just forgive me for interrupting, but for the listeners, part of the way they do that is they know what the enrollment is. So you could yeah, see these squiggly yeah. lines in New York City go around apartment blocks because they know there are more Republicans in that building than Democrats, for example. Right. And there might be, especially when you get to Westchester, Rockland, and then Nassau and Suffolk, you draw a line so that you might concede, if you will, a Republican area and draw the line so that it's like heavily Republican. Just going off the top of my head, but say you draw a district where you you want to say it's going to be 60 mm, percent Republican. But then that allows you to draw the neighboring district that's more like 55, 66 
percent Democrat. And so that's sort of the mathematics about it. Yeah. And the court ruled in 22, the court said that the Democrats had illegally gerrymandered the short answer there. What happened is then a special neutral master was appointed to draw new districts. He did so because of that and some various other reasons. Republicans picked up a handful of seats in New York and helped them gain control of Congress. Come to 23, Democrats filed a lawsuit to overturn that special master map. The logic of the argument was that the special master was appointed because there was an emergency crunch. We were almost at, you know, the day for the primaries in 22 and something had to be done. But really, the state constitution, state law says that maps must be drawn in a process that involves a state redistricting commission, a bipartisan commission, and then approved or rejected by the state legislature. The Democrats filed that lawsuit. They won just recently. And the state's highest court said, you're right. The process is we have to start over with the redistricting commission, which is now underway. It's going to hold a public hearing. It's going to submit a suggested new map that will go to the legislature for approval or rejection. The legislature is overwhelmingly controlled by Democrats, so that gives them an advantage. But you also have to look out for the possibility that Republicans will be watching for any kind of opportunity to sue or block new maps or change new maps from coming into place because the stakes are so high. And uh, we'll see a lot of that play out in January and February as we move forward into the new year. Why should people be concerned? Well, the immediate thing is depending on where you live. You, who you represents you and who you might have a chance to vote for might change. Um, and then second of all, that might, you know, what happens in New York might change the balance of power in Congress. Of course, you can say that about North Carolina and a, a whole bunch of other states as well. And in fact, it's been argued that that earlier redistricting did change the balance in Congress. Sure. And it was a mistake by the Democrats. It helped the Republicans. Yeah, overreach. Too greedy. That's what uh, folks were saying after the Democrats drew the map in 22, because it could have shifted, uh, could have flipped six seats to the Democrats' way. Uh, and uh, the courts ruled that this was uh, basically illegally gerrymandered, unfair, did not set up enough competitive districts. So now Democrats will get a chance to redraw it. And the question is, you know, how do they tweak the current lines to maybe help themselves but not go too far to wind up in court again? Yeah, and there's one other thing here, and it's underlying all of this, and that's the census. And during this time, during the Trump administration, in fact, is when the census occurred. I believe it was 2020, I believe. But the idea that at that time there was a huge, and still is, issue with illegal immigration and immigration itself. And, of course, census, you're supposed to count everybody. That includes anybody who's an illegal immigrant or someone who's not here lawfully. And it could be argued that that census count during that time may have been an undercount because we know that many who are not legally here don't answer the door for fear it could be a census taker or worse. Well, there's always a controversy about the census. You know, folks might think, oh, what's this? the census is just a count of people, um, you know, on its face. What's what's the controversy there? But, yeah, the political the politics involved in it is that the census helps determine how many congressional seats each state 
gets. I mean, the Congress is locked in by law to have uh, 435 seats divided by the states. And um, if one state grows a lot or in proportion to the others or shrinks a lot, uh, you lose seats. I mean, New York at one time, I want to say it was 45. It had over 40 seats in Congress. At, and that's been going back a long, long time here. But as, as the Sun Belt states and the West has grown and New York hasn't grown as fast, New York's share goes down, 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 down. And every census in the recent decades, we've lost seats. And so now we're down to 26 seats. And so that's why, um, you know, states and congressional members fight tooth and nail about, is the census accurate? Was there an undercount? How do you count? How do you go about it? And, you know, there's a lot of politics involved in counting people. We're speaking with Yancey Roy, Albany Bureau Chief for Newsday on the Capital Connection. I'm David Gustina. One of the big national, international, really, if you think about it, issues, and one that's having a huge impact on New York, particularly in New York City, but also upstate, is the migrant crisis. And New York Governor Kathy Hochul has had to deal with that. She's had criticism from both sides of the political aisle for how it's been initially handled. She and her counterpart, Mayor Eric Adams in New York City, reached out to the Biden administration saying, we need help here. They've had migrants being bussed upstate, some communities saying no, some are sanctuary cities. And the latest is the New York City mayor, Eric Adams, is saying the situation is now dire. And they're playing it along political party lines and that many of these migrants being sent specifically, for example, from Texas, are being targeted toward Democratic, quote, sanctuary states and cities like New York City. So the migrant crisis has not escaped New York in 2023. Yeah, you know, it was a topic of politics throughout the year. I think that uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, was probably the chief guy that in terms of like uh, bringing it up uh, repeatedly, uh, raising the issue, saying he needed more. You know, there's like, you know, there's the old trickle down theory, but there's also a trickle up, if you will. Um, Adams saying that he needed more help from the state. Well, the state approved a lot of money to help New York house people temporarily, uh, help them in other ways. And, and then, but then the state's under pressure and the state said, well, we need the federal government to help because it's the federal government, which gets immigration policy. So uh, not that Eric Adams or Kathy Hochul was wrong to point out they needed, you know, these decisions are made by higher level of government, but it also kind of reflected the the heat that each one was feeling in terms of, you know, worrying about this issue uh, politically, how it will play out, whether there will be criticism about them um, moving forward. So, and, and it's also an issue that's going to continue. Um, but we also have seen it a little bit lower profile from that initial uh, surge a, a little bit earlier in 23. It, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what the trend is going into 24, because it's also an election year for president, uh, Congress, uh, and a number of senators. Speaking of election years and election dates, big changes coming to New York's political calendar now that Governor Hochul has signed a bill to shift some local elections from odd years to even years. It takes effect in 2025. Supporters are saying the move will increase voter turnout, including among minorities, and save money because it would consolidate many local elections and high-profile races. 
It's not supported by all. Many Republicans don't like the idea. It's these kinds of things that get into the weeds of the political gamesmanship. Well, you know, in a, in a civic class sense, the arguments are basically you touched on those, which is if in even numbered years, there's no doubt that more people go to the polls. And even numbered years in New York either means a gubernatorial election or presidential election like around the nation. Um, and that just brings out more people. It's a higher profile office. There's more participation. And the argument is the more voter turnout, the better to voter turnout, the better it is for uh, government, democracy, et cetera. The argument against even-numbered elections and why New York has had odd-year elections which for local offices, which means you're not everywhere, but your town supervisor, your county executive, the New York City mayor, uh, those elections are in odd-numbered years. Uh, we saw New York City mayor was in 21. Uh, this year in 23, there was a number of important county executive races around the state. The argument for keeping them there is that uh, local elections, by being in the odd number year, folks can focus on those elections and know the issues of the county executive uh, race or your town supervisor race. And it gets more coverage, whether it's in newspapers, online or TV. There's more discussion. There's more focus about it. Um, and, and moving it to eat. Even numbered years would mean it gets lost in the national discussion. Local elections get nationalized and people just, you know, vote on national issues. Um, now, the, the raw political arguments are like what also you touched on. Democrats ah, fare better we go. in even numbered years. Republicans fare better in New York in odd numbered years. So there is a real political angle here. Uh, but you're too. missing one part of that, Yancey, and that is what you said in the very beginning. You said having more people vote is better for democracy and government, but it also is better for Democrats. Exactly. In New York, there's no doubt about that. And, and Republicans so tend to support policies that make it harder to vote. Well, they've been against this and other issues and, you know, when the legislature moved this forward, it's no coincidence that it's a, an overwhelmingly Democratic state Senate and Democratic Assembly, and they passed this bill this year. It's been out there for a few years, but it finally, I guess, was right for Democrats to pass, and they sent it to Kathy Hochul for signature or veto. I, there was a lot of lobbying publicly and behind the scenes for and against, uh, but, uh, but basically, in the end, she signed it, and I don't think that can be a surprise because, again, it was... A Democratic Senate, a Democratic Assembly, the Democratic State Party chairman favored it, and you know the governor supported it as well. It's going to be interesting. Folks are wondering how this might work out. Um, you should know that uh, eventually there's going to be a phase in, and it doesn't mean if your county executive was elected this year to a four-year term that all of a sudden his that changes to a shorter term. Uh, you can't do that. It would be illegal. Um, but say you're a county executive and there was a, a number elected this year in, in Albany and Suffolk County and Erie County. If you're elected to a four-year term, which ends in 27, then uh, the next go-around for county executive, the election would be in 27, um, and, but it would be for a three-year term instead of four, and so that would run into 2030 and then thereafter four years, and then you'd have – 2030, 2034, 2038, et cetera. Uh, if, if your term is up at the end and you have to run again in 25, 
then you would run for either a three-year term or a one-year term so that you get on an even number of cycles. So it's going to take a, a couple of years to get into effect, but the, and there'll be one year, one election of transition where someone's running for a one-year or a three-year term, which will then end in an even-numbered year, and then you move forward from there. Well, let's do that. Yancey Roy, Albany Bureau Chief for Newsday. Let's move forward because after the session ended in 2023, there are bills that are still sitting there and they sit there and they sit there and they enjoy their summer vacation and they put on their fall sweaters and then they get ready for the winter signing or not. And we have a number of things that the governor has signed and some things that she's decided to veto or not sign. I wonder if you might go through at least some of those for us. Well, to back up for just a second, you know, the legislature passes thousands of bills uh, in a session and they don't all get sent to the governor immediately. Some of that's because you, there's political discussion about them behind the scenes. Some of them is just practical. I mean, because the way the law works is once you send the bill to the governor, he or she has 10 business days to sign or veto. And if you, practically speaking, if you send a thousand bills to the governor at once, well, most of them would end up being vetoed because the governor would say, I don't have time to study all these, and I'm not going to sign something in the law that I, I haven't studied every angle on. So any, So they get phased in. Sent in batches, but there's always a rush at the end of the year, yes, for uh, December 31st and a number of things that get sent forward. And so we have seen a number of those in the fall and as we move into uh, December here. One of the things that got signed at the end was uh, the even-numbered election year. Uh, but a number of proposals the governor vetoed at the end that were progressive bills. Again, this kind of highlights a little bit of the difference between the governor and the legislature. Uh, some of the vetoes that she uh, in, handed down in December uh, was uh, killing a bill that would uh, make it easier for people to reopen and challenge criminal convictions. Uh, another one that was vetoed would have restricted the buying of lumber, paper, and other products from basically tropical forest. Uh, another bill would have banned employers from imposing non-compete agreements on departing employees. There was also a bill that was modified uh, at the governor's direction. Uh, it, is, it oversees the uh, limited liability companies, which are partnerships, especially used in real estate. Um, people have complained long that limited liability companies, the way the law works, uh, keeps the true owners hidden from public view. Folks wanted to uh, have more transparency about limited liability companies. She signed the law, but there's not going to be a public database uh, for those LLCs. And so, um, you know, there was kind of nixed there. Another one that was vetoed at the end was a bill that would have mandated judges to take annual training or a regular training, rather, on New York's new bail law, which has been controversial, which had eliminated uh, prosecutors' use of bail for most misdemeanors and, and nonviolent felonies. But you know what? There's some other things that she did sign that were also interesting uh, in the fall, going back a little bit earlier. I mean, one of those that, that jump out is she signed a clean, what's called the Clean Slate Bill, which has to do with criminal convictions. And New York is not the first to do this, but... 
basically what it does is that if you have committed or been convicted of a, uh, a crime, but you've served your sentence and stayed out of trouble after a certain amount of time, your record would be automatically sealed. It's um, three minutes for a misdemeanor, eight for a felony. And uh, she signed that, which was something that uh, progressives and federal, or rather, uh, Democrats in the legislatures really wanted to uh, put through. It was opposed by a lot of Republicans and prosecutors' office. So there were some wins for progressives and also uh, some losses with the signatures or vetoes at the end of the year. Well, I I don't think we can avoid 2023 in New York State when the former president of the United States and a longtime New Yorker born and raised, Donald Trump, was on trial under investigation by the state attorney general, Letitia James. And of course, in that investigation, it centered on allegations that Trump and other company officials exaggerated his wealth and inflated the value of his assets to secure loans and business deals. Quite a spectacle in New York to witness Trump and his outbursts against the judge of the prosecution. Well, Donald Trump is facing uh, uh, court proceedings in several states, right? Not just New York and, uh, you know, Georgia as well. And it's going to set the stage for uh, what could be a very tumultuous, well, there's almost has to be a very tumultuous 2024 politically, not just politically, but for, for the nation as these cases play out. Um, and, and, you know, what happens in these cases and uh, Trump's status as uh, the Republican front runner for the presidential nomination or his ability to get on the ballot, which, uh, you know, Colorado, court in Colorado recently ruled that he shouldn't be on the ballot there. Um, and that's a boy, that's a there's a whole lot to play out politically 2024, uh, and the presidential election. And 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 frankly, the presidential election is going to have a trickle down effect on all these congressional races that we kind of mentioned in redistricting and other cases. We talk about redistricting in the maps, but really, what happens in the presidential race will probably be the biggest factor in terms of who controls Congress and, and who wins all of those races. Yeah, and what kind of Republican candidates does the state party push? Right. He is Yancey Roy, Albany Bureau Chief for Newsday, joining us on the Capitol Connection this week. Yancey, I love talking to you. We can talk about the issues. You know them through and through. And, of course, you should all read Yancey at Newsday.com when you have a chance. Yancey. Always a pleasure. I know we'll speak again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. The Capital Connection is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. You can listen to The Capital Connection anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. And join us again next week at this same time for another political conversation. For The Capital Connection, I'm David Gustina. Support for The Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative.